You have just tuned in to the Cowbell Factors podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Sierra Vaughn, AVP of Agency Marketing for Cowbell Cyber, signaling a new era in adaptive cyber insurance. Cowbellers, I am so excited about our first guest of the season when it comes to brokers. As you know, they hold a special place in our heart because they make Cowbell Cowbell. Um, so I'm really excited to have with us Cowbell Broker Partner from CRC Group, the LA Exec Pro Cyber Specialty Team Leader, the one and only Fitzwain. So let's give a warm Cowbell welcome to Fitzwain. Welcome, Fitz. Thanks. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, nice to have you on. You know, we have a lot of great stuff to get to. So, hey, let's get started and let's get to it. We want to know all that there is to know about Fitzwain and our great partnership with CRC Group, okay? So, Fitz, let's kind of get started. I always think it's helpful that when we have these conversations that our audience gets to know our um, guests that we have on the Cowbell Factors podcast a little bit more. So how about you introduce yourself and tell us about your background and along with the journey that it took for you to get into your current role at CRC? Yeah, no problem. Um, currently, I am the cyber tech team leader at LA Exec Pro, uh, which is the LA office um, for CRC. Uh, we have a pretty sizable team, about 12 people, and we started these specialized groups about uh, like three years ago. Um, I personally have been doing cyber and tech insurance exclusively for about seven and a half years now. Um, I've been on both the wholesale side and I've done internal uh, risk management um, for an actual company. So kind of been on both sides of the, uh, of the ball court there. Um, coming up, I never really thought I would get into insurance. I was an accounting major in college, um, mainly did that because I was like, hey, this is going to be the most stable way to make sure I you know, have a successful career. Um, so did mm-hmm. uh, so out of college, went to work for a soccer startup, actually, um, as their controller, basically running the financials for them. Um, did that for about two years. And then I kind of was ready for a new challenge. And by new challenge, I more mean I wanted to leave Atlanta, which, which is where I had grown up. So I actually had a friend that lived in Los Angeles and I'd always wanted to move out here. And he was an underwriter at his Cox at the time working on cyber and tech. So when I reached out to him about kind of wanting to move to LA, he told me he could kind of get me an interview with, with CRC. And, you know, I flew out here, did the interview, got the job and kind of the rest is history. And I've, you know, I feel like most people fall kind of backwards into insurance, but I couldn't be happier with the way my path kind of led me. That is a pretty unique story, Fitz. Seriously, soccer <laughs> going into insurance, right? I love all the different uh, backgrounds that you can kind of cross over to and they kind of translate very well to this industry. It's one of my favorite things. Um, I know that back in my broker day, we used to heavily recruit um, people from the sports world, from entertainment and things like that, because you, you're already going to kind of have that natural way of being able to sell a product because it's more about relationship building. And most of the time, people with those backgrounds do very well in the insurance industry. So really cool background. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of funny too. I feel like being on uh, 
the actual insured or the company side has been super beneficial as well because, you know, outside mm-hmm. of relationships, the most important thing is understanding, you know, the account you're working on and what their individual exposures are. And having been yeah. on the other side of it, you know, now I have a way better grasp on exactly what, you know, a client wants to know about versus, you know, an insurance carrier. So it helps me bridge that gap and be, you know, way better at my job than I think if I'd never had that experience. Absolutely. It all plays into it some way and adds value. So yeah, definitely. I agree with that. So tell us a little bit about the market trends and shifts that you've been seeing recently. I know you've been in this cyberspace for a little bit, so we'd love to kind of hear from you, Fitz, on what are those market trends and shifts that you've been seeing recently? Yeah, it's it's funny. Actually, when I first started doing cyber insurance about seven years ago, I would say that was like the initial soft market. I'm sure everyone remembers those days where, you know, people (laughs) were just tacking it on to DNO and EPL quotes. No one really asked any questions. It was basically like, do you have a website? Do you have revenue? Okay, here, Mm -hmm. here's your $800 cyber quote, you know, and no one really, (laughs) you know, no one really kind of dove into it that much. It was more of what I would call a, a fluff product. Um, and that went on for, you know, a few years. And then I would say about three years ago, when we saw the drastic uptick in, you know, what everyone hears about ransomware claims and uh, business email compromise, which is like the cyber crime claims, a ton of markets kind of took a step back trying to figure out, okay, how do we actually need to underwrite this? So that was when probably one of the hardest markets I've ever seen started taking place. You're seeing rates go up three, 400, 500% retentions through the roof. You were pretty much seeing a lot of small businesses not even able to get coverage because they didn't have, you know, a proper cybersecurity posture, which is just, you know, another word for having adequate controls to protect them from bad actors. Um, so mm-hmm. the last two years was pretty, pretty exciting in that regard, especially for wholesalers, because as a wholesaler, our inherent job is, you know, solving problems that, you know, typical agents aren't able to really handle because we have this specialty. Um, in these lines of coverage. So we really played a big role in the hard market and that allowed us to really develop our relationships um, and come through for people where they really needed us. You know, and over the last, I'd say five or six months, um, the market has softened pretty significantly. And I think that's a factor of a couple reasons. Um, one, I think the hard market over the last three years forced a ton of companies to really focus on their cybersecurity and put a lot of money yeah. into that. So I think a lot of, uh, cl- a lot of clients and companies have really improved their controls, which has made it, you know, abundantly easier to get them options. I think a second factor is, uh, the war in Russia and Ukraine that started, you know, beginning of last year. I think a lot of bad actors are kind of preoccupied with things that are going on over there. So, you know, uh, ransomware claims are down, um, over the last year, which has led to, you know, more markets being willing to come in and add capacity. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when that kind of winds down. Um, and, you know, as people say, hackers go back to business as usual. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I kind of love hearing that insight into what kind of caused the transition from hardened from a hardening market to a softer market. So I think that's some great insight for our our listeners to get because everybody's always asking, well, are we in a hard market or is it technically still kind of in limbo in between hard and soft? So that's it's great to hear your perspective on that, Fitz. So 
How do MGAs and standalone cyber insurance providers like Calvill play a role in that changing market as well? I would say that MGAs and Calvill in particular played a massive role and a huge help to us, especially uh, during the hard market. Because when a lot of these traditional carriers started to pull out and be a lot less interested in you know, writing cyber business because they just weren't fully understanding it or B, they didn't have the specific controls in place. You know, they were, it was more of a yes or no bucket for these traditional carriers. You know, it was like, if you didn't have MFA, yeah, if you didn't have MFA, if you didn't have EDR, if you didn't have, you know, a security operations center or something, it's just a flat no for them. They weren't willing to entertain any kind of ideas. It was a yes or no for them. Whereas MGAs took a stance a little bit more creative where, you know, if you would submit something to Calville, for example, and you're like, you know, I would talk to my underwriter and be like, hey, so they don't have MFA for remote access, but they do have this. They might be missing this other control. Like, what can we do to get a policy in place for them? And it was the MGAs that really kind of stepped up and got creative in the space where they would do things like sublimiting ransomware or adding coinsurance or something along those lines. So at least the insured could get a policy in place and have protection from like a third party perspective. Um, MGAs also took a step further and were very accommodating in regards to this, where if throughout the policy period, you know, say an insured bound a policy that had a $100,000 ransomware sublimit, they were very quick to say, well, hey, if in the middle of the policy period, the insured gets the controls in place, that was the reason for the ransomware sublimit, we're willing to increase these limits midterm, you know, for no additional premium. So it provided an amazing kind of carrot in the stick situation for these clients where they were able to be like, okay, well, this is the policy I have, but if I do X, Y, and Z, I know how much more I can get. So it gave them an incentive to invest in their cybersecurity, which I don't think any traditional carrier was really doing. And I think they were able to gobble up a large part of the market share because of the fact that they were willing to you know, build a partnership with their insureds versus just, you know, being an insurance carrier. They provided value add to them versus, you know, just having your standard policy in place. You know, that's so interesting that you put it that way, Fitz, because, of course, at Cowbell, we lead when it comes to innovation and creativity, you know, and we're always trying to find ways to not just provide the insurance, but also take it a step further to truly build that relationship with that insured. Um, and I think that goes a long way with wholesalers and also the small to medium sized enterprise businesses who are out here in the market who are looking for cyber, but they have no idea um, kind of where to start, even what they need. And, and you're right about that, you know, kind of uh, even taking a step back to once they've actually put in those um, cybersecurity controls that it kind of puts them in a better position so that, you know, basically we're not waiting around to hear from them at renewal. We're actually being proactive, um, specifically at Cowbell, and we're meeting with them throughout the entire term of their policy to make sure, you know, they have everything that they need to have the best cyber risk profile possible. So definitely good to hear that as well. So what is your perspective, Fitz? You know, this is always interesting to hear. What's your perspective on MGAs versus other legacy carriers? I know you talked a little bit about it um, in the previous question that I just asked, but I'd love to kind of dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Honestly, for smaller insureds, you know, up to $25 million in revenue, I think MGAs are the home for them. They have the broadest coverage, and they're the types of carriers, you know, or MGAs that are willing to build that partnership. So, you know, these smaller companies, they don't have, um, you know, dedicated IT personnel. So for example, Cowbell does this, you know, if they don't have an incident response plan, Cowbell has, you know, a great template online that they can use to start their incident response plan. They also have a security council that will help them guide them through the implementation of several controls, whereas traditional carriers didn't really have that value. Um, some of them have started to add it because I believe they saw how much of an effect it had on the market when the uh, MGAs were doing it. But typically the MGAs I see foster themselves more as building that relationship and, you know, and it's beneficial to both sides, you know, cause it's, if the MGA ensures that the client has best in class controls, there's going to be less claims. And if the client has best in class controls, they're going to have to deal with less, you know, issues. So it's interesting how they kind of started that trend. There are traditional carriers starting to adopt that, but I think that they were the first ones to really kind of emphasize like, Hey, we are more than just an insurance carrier. We can help you through the process from start to finish, whether it be through controls, they're very transparent when it comes to claims handling. So I think for the smaller kind of companies, it's been very, very beneficial for them. I would say traditional markets or legacy markets, as you refer to them, are predominantly focused on what I call kind of like whale accounts, very large accounts with large showers where they know, you know, they'll be on them for, you know, a decade, two decades. So they're playing, you know, less capacity, but much longer kind of game down the line, whereas the MGA and the InsurTech has been extremely helpful to the companies that aren't at that stage yet, which, you know, as I'm sure you're aware, there are way more companies who are not these, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies that still need this yeah. coverage. So the MGA mm-hmm. has been significantly helpful in helping get coverage for those markets or for those insureds. That's really, really interesting to hear. You know, um, I, I definitely love that your perspective is very unique, um, you know, and I think it has a lot to do with your specialization in tech, cyber, but also on the wholesale side. I always feel that gives a different perspective as well. So Fitz, how has that helped you when it comes to selling cyber insurance policies? Oh, it's been tremendously helpful specializing. Um, I know that a lot of, you know, as a wholesaler, I only work with retailers. So I know a lot of retailers, um, unless they're, you know, the behemoth Marsh or the Lockton or the Aeons, you know, the Alpha Houses, a lot of these retailers, you know, the one agent is handling the GL, the property, the auto, the umbrella, the DNO, the EPL, the crime, the cyber. So they have these you know, they have 50 different policies they have to understand. Whereas for me, because I only work in cyber and tech, I work with the same underwriters. I work with the same markets. I work with the same policy forms. So I have the ability to master those policy forms, build the best relationships with those underwriters and be the biggest asset to my agent when it comes to cyber tech. They rely on me for that expertise. 
So especially during the hard market, when it was extremely difficult to place coverage, retailers relied on us to know who would be willing to quote this. So we're not wasting anyone's time, how it's going to look. And even more so what I found agents being extremely um, appreciative of was when they would send me a submission, I could open up an application, look at it for five minutes, tell the agent where the problems are going to be what kind of pricing we're likely looking at, what markets can consider, what market, and even more importantly, you know, a list of markets that can't consider because of X, Y, and Z. And because we were able to provide that to our clients, you know, it made, it made us an invaluable asset to them. I can't tell you how many, you know, renewal calls I've been brought in on or, uh, or even, you know, uh, RFP calls and things like that where, you know, our agents not fully equipped to, to pitch the product that we're selling, but because I work on it every day, you know, it's not like I have to open up that file and dive into that policy very specifically for very long because, you know, I've looked at a cowbell policy a thousand times at this point. So I know exactly what it covers. I know what it does. So, you know, I can do this stuff pretty off the cuff. So when agents even just will call me and loop me in with insureds very quickly, I don't need to even be in front of my computer. But because of that specialization, I can just answer those questions kind of off the back of my hand. Um, 90% of the time, I'm not going to say I know everything, but, <laughs> but most of the time I can answer pretty quickly, which is a huge asset for our, for our agents. You know, Fitz, I want to kind of touch on something because I want to keep in mind and that our audience is very mixed. So it's independent agents, retailers, wholesalers, and larger brokers. And for those who aren't familiar of how to work with the wholesaler and like kind of what you consider a retailer to be. Can you kind of just explain that and break that down? Because I know a lot of, a lot of different agents and brokers who are listening will wait, what is a retailer? How can I be that? <laughs> of course, no problem. Um, so the way that kind of the, the tree works in insurance is, you know, you have a company that needs insurance. The person they're going to reach out to is going to be a retailer. The retailer is the one that has direct contact with the insured, kind of walks them through all of their different policies, you know, basically is just going to be their insurance resource. Um, and then the wholesaler is in between the retailer and the insurance carrier. And don't, uh, don't, you know, think that a retailer can only use a wholesaler. A retailer can also go direct to um, insurance carriers, but a wholesaler is what I almost consider like an aggregator. We're very good at narrowing down problems to where, you know, we can be much more efficient with the account versus what, you know, a retailer may, may have to do. But a retailer mm -hmm. will approach a wholesaler. A wholesaler only interacts with the retailer or the insurance carrier. There are some of those exceptions I mentioned where a retailer will ask me to be on a call with the insured, but you know, typically I will have no contact with the actual client um, at the end of the line. Um, that's you know the retailer's client, the the retailer is our client, and we are the insurance carrier's client. So that's kind of how the trickle down works there. Got it. Yeah, I thought that would be very beneficial to our audience because I know we'll have a lot of people sending in emails. Well, how do I become a retailer? I really need to understand. And a lot of times they won't realize that they're already a retailer, um, you know, yep. <laughs> and they just haven't kind of connected the dots yet. So um, thank you for that, Fitz. I do really appreciate you kind of going over that perspective for me. So tell me this, um, what trends are you seeing with cyber claims 
And why is having that strong cybersecurity posture so important for for insurance today? Uh, absolutely. Um, I actually just recently did a uh, did a presentation for a client of mine that we kind of went over the trending cyber claims over the past uh, year or so. Um, okay. So it's been actually very interesting to see. So. As I kind of mentioned at the beginning, uh, ransomware is what I consider like the hot topic right now, mostly because it is the most expensive claim. Um, it's essentially what ransomware is, is a bad actor will get into your system. They will release malware that essentially locks up your entire network. And they basically say, you know, hey, until you pay us X, Y, Z, uh, typically it's in a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. Um, we won't release your network and you won't be able to operate. Um, so typically what happens during that claim is you're going to deal with uh, business interruption, which is kind of your refund for downtime, um, as well as the actual extortion amount, which would be the payoff where they would give you the encryption key. Uh, ransomware had a massive spike in 2021. Um, they were seeing, you know, I believe it's, uh, down about 50% since the high in 2021. And it, there's actually a pretty interesting chart um, that you can see where ransomware event claims actually took a steep drop-off in March of 2022, which was right around the time Russia invaded Ukraine, which is, you know, it's a little bit of a conspiracy theory, but I think it's pretty generally accepted <laughs> in the industry right now that that's probably yeah. what's driving the reduction in ransomware claims. So that's a been a large portion of why we've moved into the soft market. There's just been less severe claims from the ransomware side. Um, something interesting though is that business email compromise claims, which is essentially, you know, phishing, or telecommunications fraud, like cybercrime, if you will. Um, social engineering is a part of that. Um, those have actually remained fairly steady. Uh, and the, the general consensus is pretty much because that's kind of the low-hanging fruit. Uh, typically, it doesn't actually require a breach of the insured's network. You just have to trick an employee. And we all know there are plenty of employees who don't pay attention to what they're doing and are likely to click on, you know, a random link. Um, you know, just my mom the other day sent me a screenshot of an email that she got and was like, Hey, is this real? Do you think I'm like, absolutely not, mom. Do not click on that. Do not, do not give them your banking info. It is not, that is not correct. So it's not even just companies. It's individuals too, but those have, kind of, those have kind of stayed relatively steady. Um, so that has also kind of pushed us more into the soft market, as well as what I mentioned earlier, as far as a security posture standpoint is, I would say from two years ago at this time, 90% of clients have probably doubled their cybersecurity controls. Um, they're adding things like endpoint detection and response, which monitors your whole network for malicious activity. They've added things like multi-factor authentication, which I'm sure everyone knows is kind of like the token on your phone. Like a lot of, uh, a lot of banking apps have it to where like when you like log in for the first time in a little bit, they'll send you a text message where you have to enter a code in order to even log in. So that's pretty much what multi-factor authentication is. And it just adds a second level of protection when it comes to a bad actor getting in. So if you think about it, you know, not only would a bad actor have to steal your login credentials, they would also have to have access to your phone in order to get into the system, which the odds of them having both of those is, you know, slim to none. 
And I do appreciate how you made it clear that it's more than ransomware. Like that's the number one thing, but it's not the only thing. That's something that I'm always teaching um, our brokers and agents and even our policyholders on how important it is to look out for things other than ransomware. Uh, yeah, know? absolutely. And another uh, trending uh, claim that's happening right now that I actually could see impacting the market pretty drastically um, there's a lot of these pixel tracking uh, claims falling in, which basically what this is, is a lot of websites, when you go visit them, especially healthcare, um, they have this software on their websites that basically tracks what the user is doing on the website. Um, it's typically not for resale or anything like that. Um, but most of these cyber policies have what's called uh, unlawful collection of information um, exclusions. And a lot of these tracking softwares are kind of liberal with the way they interpret the law um, on those. A big one that we've seen recently is on like streaming services, for example. I know HBO and Hulu have just gotten hit with pretty large class action lawsuits um, in regard to this, where essentially the data they're collecting, you know, they're obviously selling the data to, you know, production companies and uh, and movie companies and things like that. But essentially the 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 tracking was meant to essentially give them more targeted ads it was never meant to be targeted at like specific people more specific areas mm-hmm. but the data okay. if it is ever attached to an actual person's name um that is unlawful collection you're not allowed to sell wow. data that you have to when you sell your data it has to be anonymous so that's a claim that's happening more and more frequently because it's very similar to uh i mean Pretty much any type of class action, as soon as lawyers realize that they can file a class action for something, they start doing things like reaching out to people to file class action lawsuits. They just take advantage of kind of the system of what's going on. So, you know, the same way you would see this for, uh, I don't know, for like financial, for a financial institution, you know, say they were doing something wrong, you know, a lawyer's going to start sending unsolicited emails, trying to get as many people involved in the class action as possible. We're starting to see that Mm -hmm. more and more with data collection. Um, because honestly, I think data is probably the biggest industry in the world at this point. Um, so we're seeing that more and more often. And the more and more that litigation picks up, the more and more third party claims we're going to have. And those are the ones where you have to start, you know, adding in defense costs. That's when you start seeing claim costs go up significantly. So those are kind of the newer claims we're seeing as some of these other ones have trickled down. Um, We're seeing a lot more uh, unlawful collection of data claims uh, trickling in. That is just really, really interesting to hear, you know, and and we definitely appreciate you giving us um, that that context that you just gave as well, because I don't think everybody really kind of thinks about that data. They're like, well, wait a minute. How am I getting a targeted ad? (laughs) You know, when I was just talking about uh, the fact that I might want to go to Hawaii. Now you're all all of a sudden getting all these targeted ads. No one ever thinks when they're actually say they're downloading their Facebook app and they say, would you like, is it okay for us to have access to all of your data? People just click the box. Yes. And just move on and don't really think about that. So definitely thank you for kind of talking a little bit about that as well. Um, I'm sure our listeners are like, wait a minute, let's, let's go change some settings. Let's go and try to make sure that we're doing what we need to do for our policyholders, even from the broker perspective. So, um, I always think that's really, really helpful for them to hear. So Fitz, I mean, you know, we, we love to hear about 
market trends here. So, and I love to get different perspectives. So Fitz, tell me kind of where do you see the market trending, say the next 12 to 24 months? Man, that is tough to say. I will, uh, I will say, I think we're, we're hitting a pretty steady, uh, a pretty steady place. I do think that the hard market was kind of an overcompensation. I do think that we saw a bit of an overcorrection over the last few months. Um, but I think we're headed towards a more steady market. You know, obviously all of this can change on a dime as we saw back in November where, you know, in October of 2022, it was extremely hard to get quotes still. You know, you had to have perfect controls. You had to be, um, you know, you had to be in kind of a vanilla industry in order to get the cheap, the cheaper options. And then, you know, November, it flipped on a dime and it started getting soft immediately. So I think cyber is one of those markets that has the capability of changing at the fastest rate. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But again, you know, as soon as, you know, my conspiracy theory or the industries of when Russia and Ukraine, you know, that starts to fade out, you know, we could see a large uptick in claims. So it's going to, it's tough to say, but I'd say for the next year, I think we're at a pretty steady, uh, we're at a pretty steady pricing and kind of appetite, uh, threshold right now. See, this is really, really helpful to hear, honestly, you know, fits. It has just been so awesome having you at the Cowbell Factors podcast today. I mean, you've shared so many great insights. I just know that we're going to have so many great takeaways, specifically with our insureds who will be listening, our small to medium-sized enterprise listeners, as well as our brokers, as well as our agents. So I'm really excited about all the great stuff that you've given us, the market trends, all of the great things that you have been doing um, throughout your career and the great work that CRC Group is doing as well. So um, before we leave, are there any final thoughts that you have for our audience? Uh, definitely. Um, definitely try to get a full knowledge of what your cyber policy is covering because so many people think it's so limited to cyber crime or ransomware when they're, you know, that's only just the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's so many other ways a cyber policy can respond to protect you. Just do everything you can to fully comprehend exactly what it is you're buying and, you know, make yourself feel more secure in what you have. You know, it's not just a worst case scenario policy. It can step in, you know, pretty quickly on several different issues. So, you know, definitely focus on everything that you're getting and not just, you know, a few particular pinpoints. You know, Fitz, we just really, really can't say thank you enough for sharing your time with us. We know that you're very busy, but we really appreciate you sharing some time with our audience on the Cowbell Factors podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys having me. Tune in next week for another episode of the Cowbell Factors podcast, now streaming on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and Amazon. Hey, Alexa, play another episode of the Cowbell Factors podcast. See you next week.